Hello Insomniacs, it is Galen and I'm joined today with Steven. How you doing, buddy? Hey! Hey, you ready for this? I'm ready, man. This is uh, exciting. It's going to be pretty crazy. And we are also joined with Jerry. How you doing, buddy? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Again with the Dr. Nick. <laughs> is, is that a thing? <laughs> Welcome to Hello Insomnia. We are doing a podcast today on some pretty crazy stuff. Today's case um, is going to be dealing with one of America's most infamous cold cases, which still is not solved to this day. Um, it was kept secret for about almost four decades, uh, 38 years to be exact, before the story kind of was told and kind of came out and uh, really made the limelight and people were like, what the heck is going on over here, guys? Um, it's a story of a man from the age 13 to about age 50 who was arrested for 53 felonies and only lost one in court, which led to a community taking action because this man, um, well, was labeled the town bully and he had an extensive uh, little background. Not he had an extensive background, I should say, um, that definitely uh, justified. I feel like some actions, uh, but we'll get into that. And uh, it's kind of a tale of what you would hear in like an old western movie, like or just an old western tale. And it's kind of funny because they say that three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Well. With this town in mind and this story, after we tell it, maybe you'll reconsider that saying. So today we are talking about the murder of Ken Rex McElroy. So have you guys heard anything about this story at all? Very little. I remember hearing something about it. It made like, you know, social media, uh, like the top little like uh, viral posts that go around and people start talking about it. Like a TikTok thing? Um Kind of in the same in without the dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit more murder, a little uh, less dance. More murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steven, you heard anything about this? I am an avid uh, uh, crime listener uh, or, or, or of podcasts, and uh, I have heard a little bit about this. Um, it's been a while since I've I've actually heard the story though, so I've like like eighty percent of it has gone out of my head. <laughs> so. It'd be good to like get a refreshing course here with our own little spin on it. We're definitely gonna be diving in deep um, at this together um, in a day or so. So bear with me, um, but I'm gonna do my best to you know make sure we touch all the bases on this story. So let's do it. We are gonna dive in. This is the murder of Ken Rex McElroy. The location and setting for this story takes place in Skidmore, Missouri. Um, Skidmore is tucked away in the northwest corner of Missouri. It's, it was a dusty town with, you know, dusty small town with a population of about like 440 people. It was known for farming and it was surrounded by cornfields. So, it was, you know, we're talking Ozarks type of living, farm, 
farm life, kind of just that whole awesome kind of style of living where you're just kind of doing your thing and, you know, making your own life and making your own living. Um, this location is 46 miles north of uh, St. Joseph, um, and I believe it's also near Kansas City. And this location holds a decade-old secret. Well, a decades-old secret, I should say. Um, a murder that no one has ever been arrested or charged in connection for. Um, the man who was murdered was a man by the name of Ken Rex McElroy. He was a resident of Skidmore, Missouri. And when this murder took place, it was in the 1980s. And um, we're going to jump back to when he was born, which was around 1934. So he was born July 1st. He died July 10th. So um, 1934 was when he was born and he lived 50 years-ish and died in 1981. Um, he was known to be a town bully um, in that era of the 1980s when the story took place. And he walked around armed and unafraid to shoot literally anyone, even the police. He was said, to, yeah, he was said to be a big dude. He was about 200. So he's just, what was it? The town's jacket. Yeah, right? essentially. He was he's just like around. a boy, did not give two shits. He was a farmer and he was 270 pounds, six feet tall and had blue eyes with thick black eyebrows. He had a hair trigger of a temper and he was just known to have a brooding presence and so not many people took too kindly to him. They weren't his fan. And he, after we kind of get into it, you'll understand why. Um, but yeah, he was accused of dozens of felonies throughout his life, um, ranging from like assault, child molestation, statutory rape, arson, Jeez. animal cruelty, Jeez. hogging cattle rustling, and burglary. So he was doing a lot of stuff um, and you know, illegally, but he was also legally leasing land, um, while doing all that. So he was walking around with, you know, thick stack of, uh, bills in his pocket. You know, he was known to be that guy who had the, the money, uh, you know, clip looking like it's about to bust in his pocket there. So, Oh, wow. So this guy's got, uh, what is it like early mob vibes, huh? Like the, he's the goon for, for like the mob or something. He's got those vibes. They'll never catch me, she. Yeah. <laughs> he was said to have some mob connection. Um, some sources say that. Uh, I'll have all the sites, uh, you know, sourced um, with this if you guys would like to take a look. But yeah, some uh, some of the stuff I read definitely said he had some uh, mob connections, or at least he said he did. So there's definitely some mob vibes going on here yeah i can i can definitely like like as if you went uh what is it uh like you snitched and you had to go under like not undercover but into hiding and you just end up it's just like this guy fucking i just imagining like a guy <laughs> with like a new york accent like hey what's, what's the matter with you shooting at the cops like hey, i'm walking here hey i'm just trying to farm here you know I got hey. this corn stock hey look at this hog this this cat <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, he was definitely doing some stuff. Let's just say that. And it's unclear if the mob connection was 110% real or not, but mob vibes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're supposed to keep a low profile. Oh, yeah. But him, not so much. <laughs> but again, his, his, his rap sheet is, is terrible. This guy was a terrible person. 
just just off of all those charges that you read off. Yeah, this guy was something else. Oh in yeah, that good way. No, he definitely uh, has quite the track record, and we're gonna dive into it a little bit more so you guys can understand kind of the details behind that track record um, to give you a little bit more perspective, I guess, on uh, the views and just give you an idea of like this guy but yeah he was the i guess the 15th out of 16 children um born to a poor migrant farming couple and in eighth grade he gained a bad reputation this is kind of where it started to settle in and it was all because he was doing cattle wrestling and small time thief work and he was also known to be a womanizer um so yep eighth grade hey cuts What's shaking? <laughs> okay, so hold on. Can we pause it? Because whenever I hear the term cattle wrestler, and this might be offensive to people that are cattle wrestlers, but I always just imagine that they're the people that are just banging cows. <laughs> what? I, I know that's completely inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> but like in my head, for some reason, you say he's a cattle wrestler, right? I'm just thinking that this guy is going around fucking cows. And the eighth grade. It, it is considered animal abuse still. Yep. Falls under that. I, I, I know that's not what cattle wrestling is. I don't, you know, it's supposed to be a profession and shit like that. But I'm just imagining that this guy is like just stealing, stealing cows to try to bang them. And that's horrible. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. I was not ready for that at all. All uh, right. <laughs> Oh, also, 15 out of 16 children oh yeah his family's just big family like, cold in the winter just Dude, working around yeah and it and they're like you know farming couples so it's like it, you know they're they're not um they're not living the lavish lifestyle for this time area you know oh, they're man. just doing their thing it's like 16 straight years they were banging oh yeah oh they yeah. did not stop it's like congrats on the sex but my lord jeez it's like a like a stargate the children just walking out of it <laughs> the poor... oh, hey yo oh. mom what's good <laughs> i mean good good for them and the hypersexual. You know, yeah you got, you got it. it you, you did yeah. it but yeah. Ooh, that's expensive um, hopefully they weren't all as bad as this dude, though. And out of sixteen, he's the dickhead. Yeah. Yep this this was the one that uh, <laughs> by eighth grade had uh, started started uh, pretty bad. Um, but yeah, so yeah, around puberty time. Yeah. Yep. And then um, so you know by eighth grade he was doing all that, and he decided by fifteen years old he dropped out of school. He's like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm dropping out of school. So around that time, he was suspected of running at least a two-year theft operation that focused on grain, gasoline, alcohol, antiques, and livestock. Now, he was indicted 21 times and escaped each time um, around this time when he was doing all this stuff. It was said he was charged of a crime at least three times a year. <laughs> so, yeah, he was doing a lot and... Uh, getting caught up in charge and escaping all the charges a lot. So, um, you know, there was always witnesses too, but they would refuse to testify against him um, because he would allegedly would try like 
intimidating them by either following them, parking outside their houses, watching them, and shooting guns off in front of their houses. It was said that most jurors were scared to even let a case go to trial because they would open up the mailbox and be, um, you know, scared to find a rattlesnake in there or something like that. So this Damn. guy was doing everything he could to make sure, yo, you're not getting me. Um, <laughs> you know, and so this guy fathered more than 10 kids with different women. So came from a big family, made a big family. You know, he was known to walk around with money, money, money. And he met his last wife, Trina McLeod, when he was actually 12 years old. Um, he wanted to marry Trina, but her parents did not like this idea at all, obviously. Uh, yeah, she's a fucking 12-year-old. One, yeah, 12 years old, too. This guy is just like, what? <laughs> He's just a shithead. And so he, at this point, it gets a little grim. Um, he, I guess, ended up raping Trina repeatedly, burned her house down, shot her family dog, all to get her parents to agree to their marriage um, when he wanted to get married. Jesus. And so what's even more scary is when officials asked about the fire and people asked about the fire of the house, well, Trina said it was just faulty wiring. So wow. yeah, Trina became pregnant at 14, dropping out in the ninth grade. And they lived together with McElroy's second wife, Alice. Now, um, the timelines for the marriages kind of overlap. So some of these marriages, well, I mean, by the given, aren't really uh, real. But anyways, McElroy divorced Alice um, and married Trina to get away from any charges of statutory rape. And 16 days after Trina gave birth to their first child, Alice and her ran away to Trina's mother's and stepfather's house, where McElroy tracked them down, brought them back, returned to Trina's parents' house where they were away, well, or excuse me, when they were away, and did exactly as he did before, again, burning down the house and shooting the family dog. Jeez. So not once, twice, he's done this. Now. Wow. To the same person's family. Yep. Because mm -hmm. this is this is for uh, Tr Trina, right? Yes, yes, the, the third okay, wife. Yeah. There. So, God. And damn, then there's yeah, yeah. This dude's wacko. There's pictures too. Um, you know, I've linked for you guys. I sent him um, over to you guys, and I think it's either the second link it was that I sent over. But um, that's all the pictures, and in there you'll find pictures of Trina. Um, there's two women in one of them, and one of those ladies, I believe, is Trina. It's, I think, the uh, lighter-haired lady. Um, and then there's other pictures in there as well as for of, like, Mick Elroy, so you guys can kind of get a picture of, you know, who he was around the time he, um, you know, was murdered. Um, so jumping into 1976, this is kind of where things started to snowball, and the town really started to feel the presence let's sort of speak of McElroy and things kind of became a little more intense and concentrated to the point of overflowing for the town um so in July of 1976 McElroy pulled a shotgun on a farmer named Romaine Henry and this was due to Henry was chasing McElroy off his private land and he was just trying to get people off, you know, his farm, essentially. And 
McElroy pulled out the shotgun and shot the man in the stomach. You know, private land, dude just trying to be like, hey, get off, this is my land. Um, and, of course, gets shot. Henry survived, and McElroy was charged with assault uh, with attempt to kill. Upon trial, numerous witnesses testified they were hunting with McElroy, and he was nowhere near the scene of the crime that day. And, well, McElroy was not found guilty. It was said or at least hinted upon, you know, they were, you know, bullied or intimidated into doing this. So, uh, where, where, you, where, where you guys head so far? What you guys thinking? I, I, <laughs> I, I'm just like in shock that he burned the, his wife's family's home down twice, fought parents' home, and then shot their dog twice. He's a, he's a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this guy's just a piece of work. Yeah. And then I, I could see him yeah. over here getting chased off of another guy's farm because he's probably over there trying to bang the cows, cattle wrestling. You know what I mean? Like this guy, get off my land. Like, and then he knew too much. And so he shot the other guy. Oh man. We're totally getting emails about this episode. Yeah, Cause you have sexy cows on your land. Sorry to all the cattle wrestlers, but this guy is giving you guys a bad name. Like, all right. Not, not, uh, not doing anyone any justice. Maybe that's why the town did what they did. <laughs> So we are now jumping to 1980, one year before the slaying of McElroy. So 1980, one of McElroy's kids got into an argument with a clerk in a grocery store because the clerk uh, just asked, hey, you know, would you mind putting that candy back that you didn't pay for? Um, you can't just, you know can't take the candy so if you could pay for that that'd be great just saying it nicely politely you know well um this created an altercation a verbal altercation i should say and the owner Bo bowen camp and lois who were the elderly couple that owned the grocery store um Bo bowen camp allegedly you know was like hey what's going on here and got involved, you know, as a manager would in a altercation that takes place in their business. Um, and Bo tried to explain, hey, that was never act like your kid was never actually accused. Um, you know, we never accused the kid of stealing. That was just, you know, something you didn't do in that time period, according to ex workers of the store who were alive to, you know, provide information when the story was floating around. Um, it was just, at, I guess, in that time period, that was something you didn't do. You didn't accuse people of stealing since it was, you know, that time and era and such a low, you know, population of the town. So it, it makes sense, like, you know, that just wasn't something, I guess, that happened all too frequently. So you didn't really accuse people of it. And it just was like a bad look on both parties. Um, so that was kind of like, you know, the explanation behind why Bo was like, you know, we weren't accusing your kid. So at this point, you know, McElroy then accused Bo of saying, hey, are you calling my daughter a liar? So you're saying she's lying now, insisting she's a liar. And that just kind of sparked the whole fuse for, you know, McElroy was him saying now my daughter's a liar. So um, 
after this, McGillroy began stalking the Bo family, like Bo and his family, um, showing up at night, parking out front, shooting guns into the trees in the front of their house, and you know having Trina just watch them out front. So typically doing the same thing that he would do with anyone who tried to like you know, you know, juror against him and go on any jury to pretty much you know bring him down. So Bo one day was sitting behind his store waiting for a plumber to show on his, you know, he was sitting on his little loading bay and here comes McElroy driving up and, you know, confronts Bo behind his store. Well, it got so heated that I guess McElroy pulled out a shotgun and he shot Bo in the neck. He had used a deer slug um, type of ammunition and the slug that was shot came three inches from Bo's head. Mm. Luckily, Bo survived and McElroy was arrested. So yeah, he straight up just kind of shot him, tried to kill him, um, but missed his head, got him in the neck and Bo survived. Um, Yeah, I, I wasn't familiar. I'm not familiar with like guns and ammunition and stuff. So I was curious if you guys knew what uh, the ammunition Jeez. a deer slug was or why it was like significant. They uh, reported that. Well, most like shotguns are like pellets. A slug is just one large wad of like yeah. lead. So according to Google, a deer slug uh, is basically a bullet for a shotgun. Slugs are solid, single projectile bullets that. Uh, while fired, not having the spread of a shot to strike the target with much greater force, delivering a deeper wound, uh, wound channels, and the slugs are generally used for medium-sized uh, game, especially white-tailed deer and similar size. Jeez. Okay, so that's like a heavy-duty kind of ammunition to bring down your kill. Okay. It's like it's like something the size of my thumb that Damn. a projectile goes. Straight for you. If you, if any of you guys knew Jerry, you'd understand how big that's. That's a big. That's a big. That's, that's a big bullet, guys. There's, there's a big <laughs> thumb right there. Yeah. So you know, a shotgun shell, right? Yeah. 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 Like imagine that, but it like there's a it's a bullet size. Yeah. It just like in the shell, it's got like a bullet inside it. That's that's what it looks like, at least in the picture, and then from what I read. Okay. So I imagine the projectile shoots out of the shell, um, basically, so you can get the game. But they do look bigger in size than like your, like standard like nine millimeter bullet. Interesting. Okay. Well, good to know. Because yeah, I was reading this. I was like, hmm, I'm curious about that. But let's jump back in. We have um, going back to the shooting. Um, luckily, Bo survived, and McElroy was arrested. Now. This was not unusual for McElroy to be arrested, and it's just another, you know, part of the routine he casually found himself in. Like I said, he, you know, was always getting arrested. He was arrested from, you know, 13 to 15 years of age. He was doing crime, arrested for 53 felonies. So that's... Yeah. But if he got away with all that, it would get to his head like he's untouchable, like whatever I could do, whatever the fuck I could do in this town. And that's why, like, even the police in town were scared of him because he would shoot them. He did not give two craps. Like, it was, it was he, his town, essentially, you know? How do you get away with that? You're shooting at cops and, like, they just, he just intimidates everybody. Mm hmm. 
Um, so yeah, after Bo survived this shooting, um, you know, McElroy, of course, was charged with attempted murder and he was convicted and at trial, um, he was convicted of assault, I should say, and freed on bail pending his appeal. So at this time, he, you know, made bail and since he was loaded with cash and Trina was like his ride or die, you know, they got it all figured out, sorted away, and he's now walking the streets on bail. So at this point, now the bone camps had to live in fear because, well, you know, Bo just got shot in the neck by this dude because, you know, this whole argument um, that he tried to calmly explain, you know, hey, this wasn't the case. And now he's shot in the neck. So they're living in fear. They had to sleep in shifts, it was said. Friends and family always kept an eye on the street for them. And they were so scared, they even developed a system of of informants using young children in town to run errands that they were actually like running telegraphs um, of urgent messages, pretty much just like a secret message system they had going on so they could keep safe and like get messages out um, in case, you know, McElroy was near in town or on a rampage or just whatever it was. So they had like a little system set up. The amount of torment this guy inflicted on this town is ridiculous, dude. Like they're so in fear they made a damn like system to a warning system for people just for this guy. Yeah, just for that one guy. He's his own hurricane. You know what I mean? And this is happening in the 80s. Like, yeah, in my head too, like headcanon, I'm thinking like it's the 50s or something. Yeah. But I mean, given it's a small town, you know, they're in Mayberry, basically the 50s. Yeah, because like right now we're just now getting into the 80s of the story. Um, So, yeah, we're about to get into 81 right now. We just got done with 1980. Uh, So, yeah, now we're starting to get into like the deep of the story right here. Um, And essentially after, you know, while being on bail, um, McElroy went to this local bar called D&G Tavern. That was a local little tavern, um, you know, there in town. And he was armed with a M1 Garand rifle that had a bayonet attached to it post-hearing, like after a post-trial hearing. Wow. And for anyone who doesn't know, that's a semi-automatic rifle used in like the U.S. services during like a World War II. Yeah. Yeah. And in Korean War. It's the M1 Garand. Yeah, yeah, the one Grand, that makes it like the, shit yeah, yeah, down every yeah. time you reload it. The World War II yeah. gun. Yes. Yeah. So this one I did the research on because I was like, ah, this seems kind of like important to the story. So I kind of wanted to make sure I just hit wiki for sure up on this one. But yeah, essentially the World War II gun, like uh, the that used by the U.S. and in the Korean War as well. And it was called like one of the greatest battle implements ever devised. It replaced the bolt action rifle or the bolt action system as the u.s service rifle in 1936 which was later later replaced um by the selective fire rifle in 1958 but yeah this was like i guess a pretty technological advancement for like rifles in that era of time yeah because they came from the bolt action to this that actually had a a clip that slides in and um it had what like five bullets yeah, and then you could just fire away, and then, and then they stopped. They had to stop using this because, like, once you ran out of ammo and ejected, that little uh, piece of metal f- 
flings out and it causes a ping sound so your enemies will know exactly where you are when you're reloading uh that's like okay that's why they were like we got to find something new and the technology advancement is on par with like going from using you know single single shot like little like muskets to the black, to the black revolver powder. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like that's how that much of an advancement that is so with mcelroy there at the bar and he brought the you know gun there with the bayonet he was heard and seen making graphic threats about pretty much how he was going to finish off Bo and his family so this kind of was pretty much one of the icing that pretty much the icing on the cake and so it was towards the end of 1980s now we're getting into 81 um where Bo or not Bo excuse me McElroy was still kind of roaming free doing his thing and I think um he did end up spending like two years in prison or jail or something or like two months or something like that for one I think it was that last crime but then he got out and it was just like done deal so Come 1981, everyone's pissed the fuck off. They're not happy. Bo's not getting any, you know, time or anything, you know, put onto his life to make the situation, you know, actually fit the crime. He's just kind of like working the system in and out done and everyone's pissed, you know, rightfully so. You know, I would be pissed too if I were them. (laughs) Yeah, no. That Boeing camps, they must have, like, this must have been hell for them. Like just worried that this guy, this psychopath, is just gonna show up and start shooting at your house. Right. It was like it was really. It had to be really bad. I can't imagine living in that fear. And like, you know, I can barely go to sleep at night when I just have like the smallest of anxiety. Like I didn't do something at work and or I missed an email. I'm like, oh, you know. You just had this one guy roaming around your town literally parked outside your house like at some points shooting guns into your trees right next to your window it's a whole nother level of just crazy but so we're hopping into the morning of july 10th 1981 um several patrons of the town of skidmore they've had enough of all this and they formed in the legion hall to discuss what to do with the nataway county sheriff they were like yo look we want to figure out how, one, we can protect ourselves, and two, what we can do about this situation, because we've had enough. We're over it. We've been living in fear. We're not doing this anymore. It's done. We're done. We're tired. Like, no more. This ends now. And, well, the sheriff <laughs> said, you know, maybe uh, you guys should come up with neighborhood watch. Let's do a neighborhood watch. Maybe that might be the best course of action. So, just think about that real quick before I move on. Like the sheriff, but that's like that's not even a good solution. You already have a damn uh, alarm system with these children running messages. When I read that, my mind just kind of like stopped computing real quick and like blue screened on me. And it's just, it's just, it's crazy to me. It's not a, it's not a solution at all because it's like, what are your neighbors are just going to watch this guy kill right? the Bowen camps? It, it kind of, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It kind of feels like the sheriff just doesn't give a shit. Like, Dude. come on, Andy Griffin, fucking <laughs> do something with this guy. Come up with a neighborhood watch. Yeah, they, <laughs> they had Chief Wiggum as their freaking But yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so while this meeting's happening, lo and behold, guess who comes driving into town to the bar, to the tavern next to Legion Hall, which is just a couple blocks Mick away. Mick Fuckface. Huh? Yes, Mick Fuckface comes driving up to get their, or him and his wife come driving up. And they've come to get their morning buzz on. They want to begin their morning drinking at the bar. So they get information of this at the Legion Hall where, you know, the 60 people are there like, hey, we want to end this shit. What do we do? Um, And so, you know, townspeople get wind of this. And sheriff's like, hey, don't get an altercation. Don't do a direct confrontation. Um, And, you know, think about, you know, what I advise you guys to do. And he drove out of there. He got the fuck out of Dodge. That's, he knew what was going to get happen. He shit was about to go down. That's exactly what he did. On that idea, some speculate that, yeah, that's the speculation. A lot of people are like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, kind of seems like the sheriffs just wanted this to happen as much as the townspeople did, too. And so as the sheriff drove off, McElroy was finishing his drinks and He's like, don't do anything bad. I'll be leaving the I'll be leaving the town. I hope none of y'all do anything illegal while I'm away because I am leaving for about two two hours exactly from now. Yep, essentially. <laughs> essentially. Just he walks out, he yells back in, I'm putting the keys in the ignition. I'm not turning it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It, and so he drives off and the people make their way to the tavern where, you know, Trina and McElroy are finishing up their drinks. And it is said that the bar filled up to capacity as everyone just watched him finish his drinks and at that point he purchased a six pack got up and went out to his pickup truck he entered his pickup truck and as he was doing so more than 50 people shifted from inside to outside in mass to just kind of stare down his car now that's just from the bar those people came out from the bar and here it is said there's you know kind of um a lot of different sources and numbers at this moment in play um you know it's better sources reporting different um, numbers here in play and so um i'm gonna kind of go with the best i can but giving keep in mind this is kind of like an average um, when I'm talking about the numbers here, because so many different sources kind of reported different numbers. So I'm just kind of, uh, make it easy for everyone. So as, um, to give you a layout of kind of where this is taking place, um, when you are kind of going down main street of, you know, where this area is located, the bars on the right hand side, if I, recall correctly i could be wrong but i believe it was on the right hand side and um when you first walk in there's like you know the front of the bars right there and then you park the cars along the left side of the entrance so when he got out like of the bar he you know went right turned to take another right got into the driver's side of the truck and was facing towards the like 
tavern-ish, so he couldn't see behind him. As he was sitting in his car, he was lighting a cigarette with his head kind of down, kind of getting ready to go. And the townspeople, uh, it was said to, you know, different sources reported different numbers, but it is said to at least or at least be 90 people were present at the location um, surrounding That's his car when this took place. And 50 of those people for sure came out of the bar, um, at least. And so it was quiet as they kind of just stared at his truck and the truck that was in play it was one of those trucks that had a glass kind of like a window behind the passenger and the driver of the truck so you can see through it and you can see who's sitting there so you can kind of get a clear you know shot of like or just clear view a uh, clear vantage point however you want to word it of who is in there yeah and so it was quiet for a second, and then all of a sudden, shots fired out. Some people hit the ground. Some people just were part of the firing. And some people just kind of were there, but saw what happened and turned their heads and be like, oh, dang. So when the shots fired, it was said and reported to just be quick pop 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 we started with one and then just a whole bunch just popped right in um when the gunfire settled mcelroy was dead behind the wheel of the truck to due to two of the bullets hitting their target which was mcelroy one of the bullets was the kill shot and it struck him in the back of his head there was now a visible, I think it was like the, what is that? It's like a when the coin is the dollar or whatever. It was like one of those, the size of that oh, in the back of his skull. When this whole situation was happening, Trina w- jumped out of the passenger's side while the gunfire was happening. And she, it was, I think, either reported she jumped out or she managed to just kind of get out either during or after the gunfire. Uh, mind you, most of the gunfire was aimed at McElroy and not Trina. Um, and essentially, um, two people, two men grabbed her and hustled her away to a nearby bank away from the gunfire and away from the scene. So she didn't get injured and she didn't, you know, just wasn't as present as they were going to let her be, I guess. I don't know, because like, um, some reports say that she was there for the whole incident and then she kind of like got out and was hustled away after. But then some sources report that it was during the whole gunfire that it kind of was like one whole jump, grab, go, you know. Um, so I'm going to post a link for you guys. And I, this is a um, kind of like a montage I put together of some of the photos I saw. That's kind of the truck. Um, there's some blood in there, mind you, so beware. A picture of McElroy, um, his truck in the lower left, which is an actual picture of him still in there. I cert- like made sure to scribble it out, but you can see the truck on the you know the driver's side there. The window is just shattered out um, on the passenger's or not passenger side, but the driver's side. There's blood everywhere. Um, the driver's side window absolutely shattered where the passenger side 
uh, back window. It's the back like mirror I was talking about is not damaged at all. So you can see that it was just straight for McElroy. They were really gunning for him and that was their target. You know, yeah, his, his driver's side is tatted up with gunshot or bullet. Yeah, and, and then you notice like the giant, the passenger side is just kind of a okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it was yeah. obvious, you know, kind of they wanted situation. this guy dead. <laughs> yeah um and so the two guns identified for the connected bullets that were the two fatal like for sure shots were from an eight millimeter mauser german world one world war one era center rifle center fire yeah, oh, it's yeah mauser yeah everybody just walking around with these old ass guns <laughs> <laughs> right and then the other gun was a 22 rimfire rifle i'm not sure about where that one what what's up with that one jerry do you know anything about that what kind of or steven do you guys know anything about the 22 rimfire rifle just a 22 it shoots a small round isn't that like for hunting small game yeah like squirrels and they're oh, mostly wow. like like if it's for a rifle it's, they, it's mostly like a varmint rifle okay vermin there we go. All right. Yeah, that's that's what a twenty two is. I it's... believe the the Mauser is uh oh god, I wanna say it's like a handgun, right? Like a semi automatic so. eight millimeter. Oh no, no, no. This is a rifle. Oh yeah, yeah. center fire rifle. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> no, no, I don't know, I don't know I, guns I at all. I, that's the thing. <laughs> I play Overwatch, so I you know, I don't know guns. <laughs> It's like these aren't turrets. Right. This isn't a uh, yeah. sim. Okay. No, no, no. I was thinking, I was thinking of a handgun, but yeah, no, that's that's another rifle. So they they really, really wanted this guy. They wanted those bullets to penetrate through that truck or wherever he was gonna be. Not not the guy with the 22. I mean, if if you bust through those windows with this Mauser, that 22 bullets are going somewhere. The 22 it'll it'll get inside you but it won't go through you it'll just like that thing will just like bounce around in your body it's it's pretty dangerous jesus well those two guns that actually you know did those the two fatal shots they were never recovered so they never found the two murder weapons that were the prime like kill shots um one the main one being the head you know the skull shot, um, which I imagine probably came from that Mauser, um, by the sounds of it, of, you know, when we talking about guns. So, um, here is another number I'm going to throw out. Um, but mind you, different sources kind of, you know, it's like one or two numbers off, but for the most part, there is said to be at least up to 46 potential witnesses to the shooting, including Trina McElroy who, again, was in the truck with her husband during the shooting for at least a little bit of it. Um, and after the shooting happened, no ambulance was called. Only Trina tried to claim to identify a gunman, and she said it was a local man um, by the name of Dale Clement. But um, she was like the only one who was trying to do anything about this afterwards. People literally just went home. And when the troopers arrived back in town, they said it was quiet, it was empty, and the only thing that was making noise on the main strip was McElroy's truck. The engine was smoking and still running full bore because his foot was still on the accelerator and no one even bothered to return off the truck or, you know, even deal with the truck. They're just like, job done, later. 
Yeah, we can have dinner, guys. When the you know troopers arrive back in town, this is what they come back to. The main strip is only making noise because, well, McElroy is dead and his car is going hardcore nowhere. Uh, <laughs> and so essentially every other witness either was unable to name an assailant or claim not to see the person in which was, you know, in charge or responsible for firing that kill shot or kill shot. Um, investigations were done and they led to nothing and the DA declined to press any charges. So it was never, you know, solved. There's no connection to the murder, like who actually was the the two people who did those two kill shots who made the sure he was dead. Um, and one particularly the skull shot and then the other, well, I think it was like on either the face or the neck or something along those lines. Um, but post-shooting stuff, uh, Trina filed a $5 million wrongful death lawsuit against the town of Skidmore. The county of Nodaway, I hope I'm saying that right, um, Sheriff Danny Estes, who was the sheriff that was the one that was at the meeting and then drove away. Um, oh, the one that was like, bye, guys. Don't do anything illegal. Yeah, oh, that, that dude. Oh, my God. What happened here? I just I just left. I just left for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also, the, the lawsuit included Steve Peters, who was the mayor of Skidmore. And then also Dale Clement, who was claimed to be the accused shooter, but was never actually charged. Now, that case was settled out of court by all parties for $17,000 or $17,600 with no one admitting guilt. So for that time, not that's a nice little, you know, chunk of change that'll get you somewhere back in the 80s. But um, got to say, that's a they started off at five million, <laughs> but good on them. <laughs> that was bad negotiation on, on Trina's part. No. Offense. Trina then moved to live in St. Joseph, which was the you know town or place we um, you know named earlier in the beginning, and this was in Missouri as well. And she lived there until her 55th birthday, where she passed away from cancer in January of 2012. Now, Del Clement died of cirrhosis of the liver in 2009, and never had a deathbed confession or anything like that. But in a memorial tribute to him by someone. They stated he was a good, brave man, which people have looked at, Web Sluice, mind you, have looked at and like, hmm, that's interesting that those were the words chosen for his tribute. And some speculate it, you know, goes back to him being the actual shooter. Um, Dang, they didn't, they didn't die like, that was like recent, 2009, 2012. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, this is all, this is all in the last like, you know, a couple of decades, these people, because this is only in yeah, the 80s, dang. man. So this, you know. Yeah, it's not that so, long ago. I know. I keep thinking yeah. like it's older, but no. It's 40 years. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, and this case inspired media. You know, there was a book called In Broad Daylight, which is I did provide an image in the uh, folder I got together for you guys there. Um, and it also inspired a 1991 TV movie that was named under the same title. And this case is kind of compared to modern day gang shootings that occur at night in a dark area or just in general on our everyday news. And I was curious what you guys thought about that, because um, this was something I didn't think about until it was brought up 
at the end of one of the, you know, sources I went to and they're like, Hey, you know, let's talk about this and think about this. And like nowadays kind of thing. Um, because you know, this, this, this case was handled in a way that a lot of modern day gang shootings are handled that, you know, um, or just shootings in general where it's like, Hey, it was a dark place. No one could see anything or no one wants to say anything. But I was curious to see what you guys thought about that and kind of how it tied into like current times of like, you know, shootings and stuff and how, you know, some of the investigations are handled with, you know, those types of situations. So what do you guys think? This to me, I don't think it is like a modern day gang shooting. This was like, um, uh, grab your pitchfork and torches. We're fucking killing Frankenstein. Like that's, that's what this is. Yeah. Like they, they set out on a mission to, what well, is this is allegedly this all sounds like you know what i mean they were like no we're getting this guy we're dead we're sick of his shit he's got a terrible yeah. rap sheet we're we're burning the witch raping cows raping cows and uh they had a they had a town we're, meeting we're done with we're done with his antics and they delivered and then i think like the sheriffs and stuff they probably did just turn a blind eye because they, they probably if they're getting shot at by this same dude, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, he had to go. It's this is like the one case where you don't sympathize with the victim. They were all in it. You you sympathize with the yeah. suspects. If that makes sense. I mean, what they did, I would I'm not say it's morally right because it's still murder. But at the same time, this guy was a piece of shit. A hundred percent. And there's uh, there's actual quotes from people who were there. Um, I got two here and I'm just going to read them real quick. And then I want to hear what you have to say, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Kind of your the thoughts. Um, but t- these two quotes are legit from either one is from the Bone Camp's daughter and the other is from a Skidmore farmer who was alive during that time. And Kirby Gosley, who was the Skidmore farmer, he literally said, our law enforcement never went after him very hard. The son of a bitch would just as soon shoot them as anyone else. And the Bone Camp's daughter, um, Joyce Monte, said, It was not the kind of justice they should have gotten. We stood up and did the right thing. We went to the police. We went to the courts. We went everywhere we could. But justice would stay delicately out of the way. Looking back, the justice system had as much to do with the killing of Ken McElroy as anyone in Skidmore did. Damn. Mm. That's that just that kind of yeah. just puts it in perspective where it's like Yeah, they they did their mm-hmm. own Western justice. Yeah, we they yeah. killed it. And that's kind of why I wanted to leave the quotes at the end, because after, you know, that little statement of, you know, the shootings, how one source tried to tie it back to today. I wanted to kind of throw that in there, but also end it with that quote. So, you know, it kind of, you know, it it does, it it goes with both sides and like has that, you know, um, I guess polarity or what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, yeah, it's impact. Like it's, it's got its impact. Yeah. I I get what you're saying. Oh God. Like that's, that's insane. This whole, this whole case is like, it's crazy because yeah, it's one of a it's almost one of a kind. Something that happens in the eighties too, so it's like yeah. So, and everything of course is alleged. Like I'm I'm making my jokes about this guy banging cows and stuff, but like, I mean, this he's he wasn't a good man. 
but not one you know, bit. Still murder, and it's a whole town <laughs> hey. just committed a crime. Alleg- hey. Allegedly, what are you gonna do? Yeah, you're gonna arrest the whole town, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's you don't know. It's that thing where it's like if you yeah. can't a hundred percent say it's this person that did it, you got no case. You question everybody; they're gonna be like, I don't know. Nobody's gonna testify. Know. You, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. This. There's no no snitching in this town. Old West justice. Here. Straight up, it kind of has the essence of, like I said, you know, Ooh. like that old it, western kind of like vibe. It's like an old western tale in his sorts because it's like you know, the sheriff couldn't do anything, you know, Popo couldn't do anything, and the town was like, "Don't worry, we got it." <laughs> That's all you had to say. <laughs> yeah, we'll take matters into our own hands. All right, and they did. Oh yeah. They did Just indeed. Did. Well, do you guys have anything else you would like to add in before we end the episode today? Uh great job, man. Good good job thank on you, this. Thank uh, you. This is going this yeah. is a good one. And and good job to the people of Skidmore. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah, uh, man. Just Hey. Yeah, that was a that was a good episode, thank man. You, thank you. Good episode. They definitely um did what they had to do and in my opinion i'm definitely all for what they did skidmore you guys you go hard and i represent but man after, props props that's all i gotta say <laughs> after that day everybody slept very peacefully oh 100 imagine the, the bowen camps or however you say your name i hope i'm not butchering it imagine that family you know not having to live the way they yeah, did they didn't have to look out yeah. the window have kids run secret minutes. messages for them and like that's just it's just wild to think like this happened in the 1980s again the 1980s it, it probably felt like a breath of fresh air like yep just this town is way better without this guy now. And I bet after that, the crime rate has been so low. Nobody dares to do anything in that town because everybody was like, hey, all right, town meeting. Let's get this guy now. It makes oh. sense why no one was stealing shit. Hey, what, if, what if this just like started a whole thing where like now this town, they still just take Some care of their vigilante own shit, And we just don't hear about it. Like they just go around killing all the people that cause problems in the town now and just don't say shit because everybody's in on it. <laughs> oh, man. Awesome. Well, hey, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Hello Insomnia today. Please make sure you hit us up on Instagram and Twitter so you can get the latest uh, notifications. And, you know, we always like to interact with you guys there um, and try and get new information on like stories and new stories we can do. So um, we do have those going on. Hello Insomnia underscore for Twitter and then Hello Insomnia podcast on Instagram. And then, yeah, anything else you guys want to add in before we head out yeah remember to like and share spread the word around yeah send us some uh hit us up on twitter tell us what cases you want us to check out that's uh yeah some mystery cases they're just weird stuff we like talking yeah and thank you guys so much for all the support we've received thus far we really appreciate it you guys keep this going and i hope you guys enjoyed today's uh case much love and uh, later from uh, the uh, podcast team here at Hello Insomnia. Later, guys. Good night. Peace. Peace.